Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, children and babies, mammals, rats and dogs. I'm your host, Big Waz, of course, a.k.a. Wazzy Lambray, joined as always by my comrade, the wonderful Nando Vila, on a special edition, Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, man, I know we got a lot to be thankful for, including our Lord and Savior, the liberal Lord and Savior, Joe Biden, (laughs) On, (laughs) on today's show. Man, right before we we hit record today, we lost a legend on yeah. the international soccer stage in Diego Maradona. We're going to eulogize that legend. Meant so much to the game, to the sport. Um, just just the man, you know. It's, it's hard to even describe the guy's impact in the world of soccer. So we're going to talk about that. But first, you know, Biden's transition just continues to chug along, Nando. Um, mm-hmm. He's starting to fill out the cabinet piece by piece. I know this is the third episode in a row, but this is th- these are the people the, that are going to... This is the sh- most important thing. Yeah, yeah. it's the most important thing right now. These are the people that are going to shape um, the policies of the next four years. And um, yeah, the, more and more of these posts and these positions are starting to get filled out. We're going to start today on the financial side with the financial policy where Janet... Is it Janet or Jeanette? Janet Janet, Janet Yellen Yellen has been tapped to be the Treasury Secretary. Previously, she was the Fed chair under both Barry and Donald Trump from 2014 to 2018. She served as vice chair of the Fed from 2010 to 2014. Um, Me and Nando were talking about this before the show, but she's considered to be on the quote-unquote progressive side 
um, on the economist tip. And for those of you who know, like when it comes to these circles, like economists and the Brookings Institute and all of these think tank type of people, just know that if you even have a whiff of socialism or actual progressivism (laughs) in you, you're kicked out of the club. Nobody takes yeah, you fucking seriously. Yeah, you're excommunicated. You're done. You don't even get to start. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just so you know, when people get called progressive in those circles, um, it's just the idea that you might be a Keynesian person, which means that, which essentially means that you believe that the government <laughs> can step in and help the economy. Like it's possible yeah. that the government you would have been considered mainstream, boring in 1953, <laughs> right? You know, right um, before the the economic the economist kind of field went dramatically to the right, right? Um, as it Just is, the idea that the government can step in and have positive impacts yeah. on the economy, which again we know in 2020 we just watched the government give four trillion dollars. To the market, right? Like, so that idea yeah. is like they that the idea that it was antithetical to economic growth and health that the government would do anything that was a dominant mode of thinking for decades. And now those idiots have you know have basically been like, yeah, what the fuck were we thinking? Obviously, the government can should be can and should be stepping in to stimulate yeah. economic growth and health and whatever. Anyway, Janet Yellen is. She's your insider's insider. Of course, we knew that was going to be the case, right? Like they'd never, you know, they would never even get a Warren in there as Treasury Secretary, right? And we know Warren is buddy-buddy with, you know, financial interest and whatever, but she will at least be like, come on, guys, we can't be completely ridiculous and just monsters on financial issues. But they would never consider even a Warren. Even she's too outsidery. For somebody mm-hmm. in Joe Biden's position. But again, guys, we talk about it because, you know, on this show, we're going to be seen as being Biden critics and, and rightfully so. I think that's just who we are and that's who, who we're going to fucking be. And it's because of decisions like this, right? He's never going to go outside the box for a position as important as Treasury Secretary, right? Yeah. And so, and I think, honestly, if we're being honest, Nando, this is probably the best of that. Of yeah. what Biden's going to pick on Treasury Secretary. He could have went a lot worse than this, which is definitely yeah. an upside. But I want you to tell the people what the Jeanette Yellen sort of sig- signals um, as Treasury pick. Yeah. So, you know, again, I I know this is the third show in a row, I think, where we're talking about cabinet appointments. But I mean, again, personnel is policy. Yep. I mean, what, whatever, I mean, and especially in a Joe Biden administration, yes, let's be right. honest. I, I mean, mean the guy's not. out on his feet. <laughs> yeah. He's going to outsource a lot of the, a lot of the day to day to, to his team. You know, he's not going to be that involved. They're going to like, they're going to like let him sit in on some meetings every once in a while. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Janet Yellen. Okay. So like you said, Janet Yellen is on the progressive side of uh, the sort of, acceptable mainstream uh, economic profession. You know, she ran the Fed chair, like she ran the the Federal Reserve. She's not going to, she's not some radical. She's not, um, you know, she's not going to seize the means of production anytime soon. No. (laughs) But but she's not Tim Geithner, who was Obama's pick in 2008, who is going to, who will go down as one of the worst treasury secretaries of all time. Um, Just absolutely critical role 
in the basically in 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 the bailout of the banks on the backs of working people. Um, you know that was that was Geithner pushed it internally very very hard. Actually fought a war internally within the Biden administration. Sorry, within the Obama administration with Janet Yellen, who was you know kind of around there as like under secretary of whatever. Um, you know, in the early days of the Obama administration, um, in terms of you know how progressive the bailout should be, how progressive the stimulus should be. Janet Yellen wanted a much bigger stimulus than um, Tim Geithner or Larry Summers or uh, these kind of figures wanted, um, and she lost that battle. And then she was kind of sent to the Federal Reserve as a way to like kind of get her out, you know, because she was annoying to them. So they sent her to the Federal Reserve, and she ended up becoming Federal Reserve Chair. Um, her role within the Federal Reserve. Um, as the chairwoman um, was a little disappointing in that, you know, she had these progressive bona fides. Everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, like this was the one that wanted the bigger stimulus um, when Obama was around. And that would have been great. Um, and then when she when she was at, at the Fed chair, she made one decision that was just absolutely catastrophic, which was. And this is kind of like complicated to explain. And it's like not really like that important to get into the nitty gritty. But like in 2015, Toward the end of 2015, she raised interest rates, which is what the main Federal Reserve economic policy does. It's like it just sets interest rates for, for the economy. She decided to raise interest rates as the economy was kind of recovering um, with Obama. And that slowed down the recovery. And it may have contributed greatly to the election of Donald Trump. And, and by the way, we need to bring that up because it speaks to the mindset of these economists, right? There's this idea like, oh shit, the economy is going to be inflated and bloated if we keep these interest rates so low. Like it's just knee jerk. There's no, there's no data to back up what she's doing. It's this, it's just, um, I don't even, it's just dogma, honestly. Yeah. Like just the idea that keeping these interest rates low is going to fuck us up long term. It's going to kill us. It's so antiquated in its thinking. And that's why she did it. That's why you guys that's why it's important that we bring it up because again, like some of these, they've been drilled at every step. And again, and I bring it up all the time. Yes. Annette, yeah, um, Jeanette, Yell Janet Yellen is from Yale. That's where she learned how to be an economist. Right. And those people think one way and it's been drilled into them from the very start. Right. So you see, she ascends to power and she's still holding on to these antiquated, you know, yeah. ways of thinking about the economy, which is why I believe she did that. Yeah. No, I mean, every single economist working today, like, is traumatized by the experience of the 1970s. And they all, when there was, like, inflation and the government just couldn't, couldn't figure out how to get inflation low. And then Paul Volcker came in, Paul Volcker came into the Fed and basically destroyed the economy to, to get inflation low. Like it's, it's like one of the most dramatic and consequential policy moves in American history, really. It just completely transformed the American economy for the worse. Um, but they all learned the, the absolute wrong lessons from the 1970s, and it's all kind of ingrained within them. On the flip side, Janet Yellen, you know, the Treasury Department has huge leeway in terms of regulating Wall Street and the banks and you know, there's going to be um, even even if the Democrats win the two elections in Georgia, a 50 50 um, Senate, you know, in which Joe Manchin and, you know, other kind of conservative Democrats control the balance of power like they're not going to pass anything, anything 
meaningful in terms of stimulus. So like you have to have a treasury secretary who's going to be creative in the ways in which they can sort of circumvent essentially Congress to pass economic stimuluses um, and to deliver kind of things for working people. And Janet Yellen, within the realm of what we're talking about, you know, which again is not as much as we would like by any stretch of the imagination, right. is probably a better on the better side. You know, it could have been way worse, I guess is the yes. way I'll put it. Like it could have been yes. way worse. We could have done a lot worse than Janet Yellen. Um, you know, and 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 the question is like, will she rise to the moment? Will she see that you know, we're in a crisis and you need to be aggressive. You need to do things to, to help people. And there's a prayer that she might. Um, That's to be but determined. Again. But, be to but be determined. And again, TBD. And, and so we're going to we're going to tentatively put that up on the plus column. Right. For the Biden transition. Yeah. Ish, yeah. But, but ish. then on the flip side, okay, and this is like, exactly <laughs> on the flip side, and this is like classic Bidenism, right? For the yeah. Office of Management and Budget, which is a very important uh, position, which basically coordinates the budgets of all the cabinets and kind of negotiates with Congress, like you know, just kind of sets the budgets of of all these kind of things of the, of the government. Um, he wants this guy named Bruce Reed, and Bruce Reed is a right-wing economist essentially like he's a very very conservative economist he's he's what's known as a deficit hawk in which that the only important thing that the, the only important economic indicator it's not poverty it's not hunger both of which are on the rise it's the deficit, the deficit. And, and the government has to do everything possible to reduce the deficit this is a completely conservative worldview there is no evidence that you know, that it matters. Of, There's never matters. been any yeah. evidence that this deficit yeah. matters in any meaningful way whatsoever. Yeah. So all they do is basically cut social spending and uh, and and to try to get the deficit down, which means they cut food stamps, they cut you know welfare, the things that working people rely on <laughs> to survive. But they, but they never. This. But they never cut the military. They, no, no, they no, never no. cut the big ticket no. items. And, they only and, just cut the and stuff. And the reason that why they won't cut the, the military, policy. we'll talk about when we talk about foreign policy and why that right. why that always works. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this guy Bruce Reed is is very very conservative and would be an absolute disaster, like an absolute <laughs> disaster if he if he became the the head of ONB. And what we're seeing is what I think is going to be a new dynamic in the Joe Biden presidency era yes. which did not exist in With the ben. obama presidency because which he's is black that... <laughs> no or because there wasn't a left no 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 right. i mean there, there wasn't too, really it's both though man yeah i think it's both i think there was just this idea that like barry was black and so therefore he was hip he was witty yeah. he was radical it's like nah, yeah son <laughs> no that's true but like you know when 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 obama named geithner or you know peter orzag to run omb or larry summers like yeah there was some like kind of crusty lefties who were like oh you can't do that that's bad but like there wasn't any sort of meaningful power centers or anything like that and i'm not saying that the left is like super powerful right now but we are seeing people like aoc and Illinois, like they're organizing to block someone like bruce reed like their yeah. own president's you know cabinet appointee yeah. um that just would not have happened under obama like his own party was not going to like organize from the left to block one of his cabinet appointees um, and that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see going forward is like, you know, will he be able to muscle through a Bruce Reed? Will he be able to muscle through someone like Rahm Emanuel, which like a bunch of elected leaders are already saying like, no, this guy's a non-starter. He covered up the murder, murder. of Laquan McDonald yep. when yep. he was mayor of Chicago, aside from like a, a million other awful things he's done throughout his entire life. Like a democratic party cannot, 
cannot allow a man like that to be. Wait, involved. what are you talking about? Uh, they, they, uh, Chuck Schumer put Kente cloth on. What? Yes, yeah, sure. What do you yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. the, the Dems are for black people, duh. Like, they'll yeah. put the cloth on, but let Rahm Emanuel through for being yeah. absolutely disastrous. Um, and you know, a, another guy we got to get into because again. I want to remind the listeners, Nando, that we got to keep reminding people because we don't want to get ahead of our skis here. Um, <laughs> yes, Janet Yellen is generally speaking a good pick for a Treasury Secretary. It's about as good as you can expect from the Bidens, the Biden camp, right? But the reason why it's hard to get excited about it because he follows it with not just, you know, the, the Bruce Reeds of the world, um, Another guy under consideration for the National Economic Council is Brian Deese. And yeah. <laughs> our listeners need to know who Brian Deese is because he comes from where, Nando? BlackRock, which is, <laughs> was, the largest hedge fund in the world. Yeah, he's an the, executive the at BlackRock. Death Star hedge fund. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden wants to put this dude on the National Economic Council because because BlackRock don't that like they're just not doing the Black Rocks of the world. We need their opinion. They're not doing well yeah, enough. They're not doing well. They're not the largest, doing good enough. literally the largest hedge fund in the world. It's just like so crazy <laughs> for me to think about that. Like the left party would name an executive from a hedge fund like, why? like BlackRock to run the economic why? council. What like what perp like here's the thing. It's a signal, it's a signal to investors that yep. you know it's it's like, yeah, we got Yellen in there, you know, uh we're not gonna touch Bernie or Warren, don't worry. We're not gonna let them anywhere near any of this. Um <laughs> we're gonna put one of your guys in there. Everything's gonna be fine. You know, let's ease the markets. Like, you know, it's that's what it is. It's it's a signal to investors that we're not gonna do anything too crazy. You know, your bottom line is going to be fine. Again, it's what he told It's what he told to them mainstream? behind closed doors, which was the leaked audio from a meeting with donors, investors. Nothing will fundamentally change. Brian Deese will ensure that nothing will fundamentally change. It's just, it's just amazing. Like, you really yeah. can't make it up. Um, and again, yeah. the like, and because the way that the Dems and the people who defend the Bidens of the world are going to say this it's this idea that Brian Deese is a he's a um he's an expert in financial issues. He he's he knows everything. Like the guy, obviously, they're successful and rich at BlackRock, yeah. so they know everything about financial right. markets and the economy. Like these guys are geniuses, duh. Of course, we're supposed to like it's this fake ass meritocracy argument yeah. that they always fucking make. And the yeah. people with the most merits always come from the same fucking places. If yeah. you're not in those in those places, you can't possibly have the merits to work in the national economic on the national economic council. That's the argument they make time and time and time again. And again, explain to me why BlackRock needs a seat at the table. They're already <laughs> rich. They're yeah. already home. They're already the hugest hedgy in the history of fucking hedge funds. Like, what more do they need? I, I just don't understand. Like. They'll never be able to explain that level of thinking outside of these are just my boys. These are the people who I care about more than anything else. They don't give a fuck about normal people, right? No. Like You can't tell me Brian Deese knows what to do for the average fucking Joe, Joe Sixpack, who they claim to give a fuck about. You cannot tell me this man knows anything about that. No. 
But you know, it's not Trump, so it's no. it's supposed to be great, Nando. Yeah, you're supposed yeah. to feel great about Brian D. Yeah. You're supposed to feel great about BlackRock because it's not Trump. Yeah. No, I mean, listen. The dynamic in American politics these days is that we have a frothing at the mouth, reactionary, insane party that's the Republican Party that is just fucking full of crazy people. <laughs> and then a essentially pro Wall Street, pro Empire party, which like knows how to say the right words when it comes to like transgender people and the, uh, and, and might diversify the cabinet a little bit at the top, like might might have like a black guy uh, run HUD or, or something. And uh, and yeah, and that's and that's it. That Those are the two options in American politics. It's just like pro investor, and pro Wall Street or like just insane you know, xenophobic nationalism, uh, frothing at the mouth and like wanting to like just murder people left and right. So, and again, um, here's the thing, and we're going to move on to the national security side of it or yeah. what, what do we call foreign policy? Excuse me. Yeah. They're going to frame it as national security. But yeah, yeah. They <laughs> the love foreign policy. They love that security. term. Um, yeah. the foreign policy side of it. And again, it's something we want to keep reminding our listeners when you read the post, when you read the times, when you're watching MSNBC or CNN, you're going to get the talking points coming out of the Biden camp of this is the most diverse oh, yeah. cabinet we're already seeing you've it. ever seen, right? Essentially, we're, we have the most DIPOC people ever and yeah. the most women ever, right? Like that's what they're framing as diversity. At no point, Will the discourse shift to what about diversity of background? Like, mm -hmm. are, 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 how many people, like, you can get me 20 people on corporate boards and make them as diverse, like, superficially as yeah. you want, but, like, that's not actual diversity. No. Like, there's nothing fundamental. They'll find the black different. guy who went to Harvard. Exactly. They'll that's find they'll the black do. guy. That's what they always do. Who worked on the board of Citigroup? Like they'll find yeah. that black guy, they'll find that brown guy, but like they'll never find the black person who wasn't part of that. No, like they just will will never do it. They refuse to do it because those black people aren't good enough for them. Bottom line, and I or no, or because those black people might actually care about people in their own class, <laughs> right. Right? right? You know, like <laughs> they find the bourgeoisie. You know, like they they find the people who care about their interests. You know, like they they adjust diversity to them. They yeah. don't come to diversity, if that makes sense. Like they just like they just train a few people to to talk and think like them. And then include them in the inner circle and be like, look, we're diverse, you know, but like, look, no, we got, not... we got our blackie. We got yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and so and, and and look, and the reason look, this is why we bring it up. Right. Because I used to be one of those people who would recoil anytime I heard a conservative person say, well, liberals are the real racist. And I just <laughs> be like, I mean, that's. It's patently ridiculous, right? Yeah. But as I've gotten older and a little bit wiser to the ways of mainstream liberalism, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of true. Like, you do have to be a certain type of black person for them to find you appealing. Like, yeah. it's true. It's fucking true. Anyway, we move on to the foreign policy side. Oh, yeah. Of the Biden picks. And I think I want to start. I want to first start with Anthony John Bl Blinken. 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 Baby. Blinken. 
Yeah. He served as U.S. De- Deputy Secretary of State under um, President Trump. He also worked as a national security advisor under President Obama. So he's got the bipartisan. And and that's what they, and you already know that's what Biden and them is going to hit you with. He's yeah. got the bipartisan chops, right? He yeah. served under both fucking parties. This guy is unassailable. But talk to the people just a little bit, Nando, about Mr. Blinken. So Blinken, is, okay, so there's a, there's a concept in foreign policy called the blob, okay? The blob oh, <laughs> means that in, in, the, in U.S. foreign policy circles, there is a remarkable amount of bipartisan agreement on basically everything. Like foreign <laughs> policy is the realm of American politics in which there's like very basic agreements on essentially everything. everything. Yeah. And the people who staff, you know, George W. Bush's administration more or less agree with everything that... Um, the people who staffed the Obama administration. Like there's some small details, but the sort of fundamentals and the fundamental worldview is exactly the same. And it's called the blob, which is this idea that the United States can intervene whenever it wants, wherever it wants in the world for any reason, that the United States um, has to enforce countries to adopt certain economic programs for their own people, um, that... um, that you can fight uh, sort of wars in smart ways, you know, like, you know, expanding the drone program and things like that. So there is just, and and Tony Blinken, this guy, uh, the guy who's going to be Secretary of State, is a member of the blob. Like he is 100% in the blob. He is just, you know, you don't even have to like know anything about him, but I could just name everything that he believes. I could, I could, I could predict it without ever speaking to him for one second. I mean, it's just... This is like the kind of training that these people undergo is that. And Blinken, for example, was Joe Biden's foreign policy advisor when he encouraged Joe Biden to vote for the Iraq war in 2002. So um, a a vote which he still defends today. Um, And Blinken was around when the Obama administration decided to intervene in Libya to depose Muammar Gaddafi, which turned Libya into a war zone and failed state and brought back the slave trade. And it's still that to this day. To this day. This was in 2011 when this happened. And nine years later, it is just an absolute hellhole right now. Um, And, you know, he's he's just one of these guys. And after he left the Obama administration, he went and cashed in. Which is like this is like the interesting kind of dynamic that's going on here. He founded a company called West Exec with um, with Michelle Flournoy, who is the favorite to become Secretary of Defense. They um, they they want to do uh, uh, they they basically uh, started a company together to that helped uh, companies like Facebook or Amazon or whomever get Defense Department contracts, get Pentagon contracts, Um, you know, and there's countless examples of them helping people like Boston Consulting Group or other just giant corporations just extract more money out of the public purse via Pentagon contracts. So again, these are people who all- And this is what they call, this is what they call classically the revolving door, the idea that you work in public office, soon as you get out, you go work it for the private interests- get a bunch of connections over there, and then you go back into the public office with those connections in hand, and you start doing their fucking bidding inevitably because they paid you a shit ton of money while you were working in the private sector. It's this 
disgusting, incestuous nature of how government works at these levels, right? Like this guy works for President Obama, starts a private company, becomes buddy-buddy with those private interests, and now guess what he's back doing? Working in the public sector. Yeah. And and allegedly working on behalf of people like me and you. Yeah. Allegedly. But we know yeah. who they working he's on. He's already gotten of. rich. Yeah, from <laughs> from the Yeah, so the that's why like the defense budget him. will that's why the military budget will never be cut with people like this. I mean, that's why Barbara Lee, for example, um the 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 congresswoman from California who was the only person to vote against the Afghanistan war 2 days after 9/11. Wow. And a vote that she was 100% correct to take. She voted because she realized that the authorization for the use of military force in 2001 was an open-ended invitation for endless wars all over the world. And she was correct about that. She was, it was one of the most brave political acts anyone in American politics has taken ever, probably. Two days after 9-11, she voted against the Afghanistan war, the only person to do it. She's still in Congress. She um, She's like created this like bill or pledge that, you know, anyone that works in the anyone that could be nominated for to run the Defense Department or to run the State Department should not have any ties to private defense contractors. I mean, it just seems like a very obvious thing to people like me and you. To them, it seems like ridiculous that uh, anyone would. How could we find somebody yeah. who's good enough for this job who right. doesn't who hasn't yeah. gotten rich from the defense contractors? Right. You can't be good at this job without that. It's like, it's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, that's your boy Biden. That's his pick for that. Um, who else we got here? Oh, yeah, we we, we definitely got to get into Avril Haines. Because she's a yeah. woman, obviously. Yeah, she's a woman. You know? She's a She's a woman, boss. so she's clearly progressive and right. clearly woke. Clearly, she's was, you know, she's a woman, man. Oh, come yeah. on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Avril Haines, <laughs> who, uh, <laughs> God. So she was, a, she's a CIA, she's in the CIA. She was in the CIA for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's a girl boss. Uh, she's going to run the, she's, gonna, <laughs> she's essentially, uh, uh, yes, she's the, queen. Yes. Yeah. She's yes, queen. She's the, she's the chick Drop from a drone Dark on 30. Slaces. Yeah. She, um, she, for example, just for example, testified in favor of Gina Haspel, uh, when she became uh, Trump's pick to run the CIA, of course, um, you know she's uh, she's a very hardened and uh, uh, well trained deep state operative, and who the hell knows like what she's been up to back there? But I mean, um, yeah, but she's a woman, and that's like going to be like people are already celebrating, you know, like the girl boss nature of it, and it's just like I don't know, like and they I mean, it, it makes me sound like crass. Post. What? Sorry. And she's getting put up for CIA director? No, no, no. DNI, Director oh. of National Intelligence. Excuse director, me. Director yeah. of National Intelligence. My bad. No, the guy that they're floating for CIA, and this is, again, another example of this new dynamic that's 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 around in 2020 that didn't exist in 2008 under Obama, is that the guy that they're thinking for CIA is a guy named Mike Morell, who is a longtime CIA guy, who is long who has participated in the, port, in the torture program and defended it publicly, yep. you know? He didn't do. The, he didn't even do the Obama. Uh, uh, we tortured some folks. Uh, you know, uh, he he's like, no, we did it, and it was good. It was good. It was great. Yep. Um, and yep. so Senator Ron Wyden, who is like, um, 
you know, basically the most anti-torture senator we have, the guy who, you know, was pro Snowden and all that stuff. Um, he's already saying that he's he's going to do everything he can to block to Mike Morrell. sabotage that dude. Yeah, to yep. sabotage. So, like, that's a dynamic that just didn't exist under Obama. Um, if anything, it would be coming from the right on Obama, <laughs> you know, like that they would right. be like Democratic senators like Joe Lieberman and stuff blocking his appointments from the right, but not from the left. And that's that's a new dynamic. But yeah, again, Mike Morrell, another just like CIA psychopath to run CIA, Avril, uh, <laughs> Av- Av- Avril Haines, you know, uh, oversaw like the I think she like oversaw the CIA's internal inst- investigation into like the torture thing, which was like obviously totally suppressed and all that stuff like so. Yeah, just a, a you know a girl boss. Um, so again, again with the big picture with Biden's foreign policy is that it'll it's going to be business as usual with a yep. more competent hand at the wheel. It is yep. a more competent management of the business of U.S. empire, the dirty, dirty, dirty business of U.S. empire. We'll have people who can say the right words, who are stable, who won't do anything rash. which in rash. a lot of ways is worse because it gives them cover to yeah. do every and anything. And that was the, and that was kind of the sneaky dope part about Trump's bumbling and disorganized nature is that it did ring alarm bells with people. People was like, this is disorganized. It doesn't seem yeah. like, like people, it gave people room People that normally wouldn't even question it to question it, right? Like, yeah. you got to ask the question, like, damn, that's a crazy big decision. Do we think these people are equipped to make those decisions? Now, with Biden coming in, it's just going to be like, of course they know what they're doing. This guy strung yeah. three, you know, good sentences together on CNN or on the Sunday shows, right? Like, cause that's where they yeah. always go to make their cases for these fucking wars. They yeah. go to the Sunday shows and be like, in the hush tones, like, it's serious over there. Yeah, we need yeah. to send serious people. We need to drop trillions of dollars on it. Yeah, let's go. Let's yeah. do it. So, you know, again, we bring this up because these people are who are going to shape the policy of Mm -hmm. the Biden administration um, going forward. And so, you know, we hope you guys would pay attention to that. And like Nando said, I think it is nice that there is an organized, a much more organized, it's not as robust as people like us would like, but a much more organized left to actually, you know, AOC can go on CNN. Like yeah. she she has the juice that she can go on NBC and make the negative case against yeah. these people instead of only the affirmative cases for these types of people. And so that's that's nice. It's a nice improvement. We'll see if anything can get done. All right. And so we move on, man. Um today, today is uh is November 25th, 2020. We lost the legend Diego Maradona, the yep. legendary Argentine. Um He's 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 why he's probably the only reason why Lionel Messi isn't universally recognized yeah. as the greatest Argentine, if not the greatest soccer player ever, um, yeah. just because he is he was such a beloved cult figure. I watched the dope ass um, documentary that came out. I think it was last year or maybe this year. I don't even fucking remember. Yeah, days last year. Blend in so much. Yeah. Um, he's just a cult figure. But of course, Nando, I know soccer is your bag. And yeah. um, the world game is what you do. Just talk about Maradona and, and just what he meant, man, to the culture, bro. 
yeah, Maradona. It's hard to overstate what a, what a like a what an icon he was. I mean, he was like on the Muhammad Ali Jordan level in yep. terms of like icon like icon status. You know, like not just not just uh, his play on the field, but like his ability to connect with people on some deeper level, some deeper emotional level, um, is what Maradona did. He was just so charismatic and just such a. Such, like he had such a strange look too, and like everything about him, his name was you, like over the top. Can you also talk about Nando, especially for the purposes of this show? Um, where he's from? He's from the slums. <laughs> he's from the slums. He's from he's from one of the poorest uh, slums of Buenos Aires called Villa Fiorito. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, he grew up in absolute abject, abject poverty. poverty. Yep. Um, and um, he was a soccer phenom from from when he was a child, and quickly kind of went up through through the ranks at a, at a club called Argentinos Juniors um, in Buenos Aires and, and um, where he was just like amazing. Uh, like, I mean, people like they tell stories of when he was 13 and 14 years old of like people just coming to go and see him. Like it was already like known that he was just like this absolute phenom. Um, and, and then he went to Boca Juniors where he like absolutely exploded. And that's the biggest team in, in Argentina. Um, and then from there he went to Barcelona where he kind of struggled because of some, because he, you know, injuries, he actually got hepatitis. Um, it was just like, he had like kind of an ill-fated time at Barcelona, although he did play well when he was healthy. Um, and then he ended up leaving and went to Napoli, which is again, where he really crafted his legend outside of like his play with Argentina, yeah. where he won the world cup in 1986, basically single-handedly um, because that team was full of a bunch of bums. Um, <laughs> and, and he won that world cup in, in maybe the greatest, soccer performance of all time like in terms of just like a pointed soccer performance i mean i was looking at some stats you know he 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 completed um he completed like more dribbles than anyone successful dribbles than anyone in the history of world cups by like he like shattered the record like the next person <laughs> has like 40 fewer dribbles which is like a lot you know he scored five goals and had five assists which no one's ever done um you know it's it's just it was just really amazing and he won the world cup but then at napoli which is a, a team in southern italy in naples which is in the south which is important because the south of italy is very poor compared poor, to, yep. to the north mm -hmm. of italy like mm -hmm. like it, it, italy's economy is like something like 80 percent kind of in the north and the south is just kind of like run by the mafia and very poor and and the northerners are very racist towards southerners and things like that yep. so maradona when he came into napoli was like very much identified with their kind of working class um, struggle, like the fact that everyone in the North was against them. He like loved that. And he kind of really, he really inspired the entire city and took them to win two Italian championships, something that which they had never done before and have not done since. They have no business competing against Juventus, AC Milan, yep. Inter Milan, the big teams in the North, right, that win all the time. I mean, Maradona was up against an AC Milan team that had, you know, the great Dutch players like Van Basten and Gullit and, and Rijkaard and all these guys and, you know, uh, Malini and Baresi, like just absolutely stacked with all the money in the world. They had, you know, he went up against Juventus, which is like the powerhouse uh, club in, in, in Italy, the Platini and all these guys. And he won. He beat them with a kind of basically... Uh, ragtag group. Ragtag team, <laughs> ragtag group, like... No one remembers any of the other players on, uh, on his team, but he won two leagues, which is just a really hard thing to do because it's not like in the NBA playoffs or in, or even more so the NFL playoffs, where if you get hot at the right time, 
you know, you can kind of win. You know, if you just if you get into the playoffs and you win a few games, a few lucky right. bounces. This you, is you, over you the can, course of a long season, you win yeah, this championship. It's, it's yeah. regularity, right? You know, like there mm-hmm. is no playoffs. It's like whoever wins, gets the most points at the end of the season sort of wins the league. So, yeah, just an amazing figure. And then he, um, you know, as he kind of retired from soccer after just a very long career, um, he he became a very outspoken political figure. And, you know, it's a little bit, it's, it, it's, I started thinking about it a lot when you were just talking about um, these people who are trained in the elite institutions, you know, like the diversity uh, conversation. Like Maradona was not polished. He did not have the bourgeois kind of polite affect. He did not even have people around him. Like these days, like any soccer player, even if they come up poor, like they basically have a team of people around them that kind of protects yep. them. Like, Managers like never had agents and all of yeah, that. Yeah, publicists, you know, they're right, media right, trained. Right. Yep. You know, they, they know how to speak, you know, they know how to do the right. thing. They don't they don't say anything interesting. Like Maradona never had any of that. And he never really developed that kind of polite way of speaking. He was always just kind of rough around the edges, uh, like a working class, uneducated guy tends to be. Um, but he had very strong ethical political commitments in that he very much supported the cause of anti-imperialism, um, mm. especially in the Bush era in the United States. He really was a fierce critic of the Bush administration. Um, he really much was an ally of the Latin American Pink Tide. Uh, he was very close to Fidel Castro, Hugo Chavez, you know, Evo Morales in Bolivia, who we've spoken about, you know, kind of very much allied himself with the struggle of working people around the world against the forces of power, imperialism, capitalism. And he did it in his own way. I mean, he he wasn't you know, he wasn't an intellectual. He wasn't, right. you know, he hadn't read the right books. He hadn't gone to the right, right. classes, but he knew it in his bones. Just in he his felt bones. It. This is yeah. the right thing. Yeah, he <laughs> felt it. He 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 grew up in it. He lived it, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, uh, just a very kind of inspiring figure uh, and, and, and really, like, connects with people on such an emotional level. Like, in Argentina, there's a church to Maradona. You know, the people get married at the church of Maradona. Like, Argentines, like, he will always be their number one. Like, Messi is, you know, he's got better numbers and things, but, like, he doesn't connect in the same way that Maradona does. Like, one of the things that Maradona did and that, like, I find to be, you know, just an, like maybe his greatest achievement, because if you look at his numbers, he doesn't have the sort of insane goal scoring numbers that Messi has. Also, he played slightly different style. Like he, he dropped in much deep. He was much more of a midfielder than Messi mm-hmm. was. He was very much focused on, on scoring goals. Sure. But, but the, the, the real thing is that when in, in Maradona, Maradona thrived in under adversity he thrived when his team wasn't as good you know he thrived (laughs) when things were kind of going south and then he had to be the guy to sort of lift them up Messi is a amazing first chair violinist of the Vienna Philharmonic you know when in the context of a thing that's working well he will take you to levels that are not unseen right unseen but if things start going south, he kind of <laughs> tends to check out, which is what's happening this season. Barcelona is struggling this season. They they have tons of problems. And Messi is clearly like, fuck you guys. I am fucking <laughs> I'm checked done. the fuck out. You know, Maradona would do the complete opposite. He would be like, I am not letting you guys, you know, lose. Like he was kind of Jordan-esque in that way, you know. Um, although, again, Jordan played with great players around him. Maradona... Never really had a great team around him. He never, you know, you, you can't name one of his great teammates. Like he, none of them were 
all-time greats the way like Pippin or Rodman were. Um, right. So yeah, just an amazing guy. I highly recommend people to watch the the documentary on him Absolutely. by Asif Kapadia on HBO. There's tons of footage on YouTube these days. You, it's very easy to access his to see like just how amazing he was, like his just unbelievable ability to just get past people um, off the dribble. And, you know, I did a podcast about him for Gimlet Media um, called We Came to Win. There's an episode uh, that's just all about Diego Maradona. I think it's a it's a pretty good primer um, if you want to learn more about him and, and just how his career went. Um, but yeah, a lot of ups and downs. He, he wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a sustained kind of unbelievable. It was a very much roller coaster ride, which is what made him a lot more interesting than someone like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, who are just kind of like yeah. robots of soccer. I think what you're describing, man, is a is a public figure who was extremely human. Um, and and, and I say that in like Nando was explaining, man, you get to you get to a point, especially nowadays, where guys become uber famous and and rightfully so, right? Like they shield themselves from the public. Like they don't want to yeah. want the public to get to know them. They don't want people to see their awards. They kind of want to do their job, go back and enjoy their fucking riches, which more power to you. I, I understand that. But I think the shit that resonates with people is when people do show their humanity, man. And that means the fuck ups too. Right. Yeah. That means not always saying, you know, racially sensitive things and not always speaking in a polished manner. And I think those type of people are the people that are always going to resonate and, and speak yeah. to the public the, in the most deepest sense because, you know, they're being human. Honestly. Yeah. Like, as you we were joking before the broadcast, you said, uh, you know, you pointed out Maradona did a bump of cocaine on a soccer field <laughs> on, a time in the of, on a pitch in the middle of the game. Uh, you know, like he struggled with drugs his whole life. I mean, yep. he really like once he got once he got a taste of the coke. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, but there's stories of when he was at Napoli. I mean, he was like, yeah, I would go on a two day bender, you know, after the game. I, I you know, I'd basically party for two days, just poke out of my mind, rest for two days, and then train for two days and be ready for the game uh, <laughs> next weekend. <laughs> you know? And, like, there's a certain type of person, a certain type of fan that gets very angry about that, and then there's a yeah, certain type of fan who's like, enough. fuck yeah, that guy's the yeah. man. <laughs> He's living his life, man. He lived yeah. a full life, man. So cheers to the life of Diego Maradona, man. But You'll never yeah. be forgotten. That's yeah, for sure. So, you know, we want to send a happy Thanksgiving to everybody who supports this show um, supports what we do at Count the Ding, supports what we do in our various other endeavors, man. It's incredible. It's kind of a dream that we get to do what we do for people. Um, and so we want to thank you for that. And we hope even in this trying times that you guys are able to enjoy yourselves with your families, man, because this is what it's all about. Honestly, Thanksgiving is always my favorite holiday because it's the it's the least empty of all yeah. of them, right? Like you spend time I with the it. people who you love the most, yeah. eating, telling jokes, getting into arguments, crying, laughing. Yeah. Um, it's just to me, it's the best time of year. Uh, it's it's my favorite holiday. And so I want to send a happy Thanksgiving to everybody who listens to the show. Of course, make sure you become a Patreon of, of Count the Dings at patreon.com backslash Count the Dings. Subscribe and listen to Let's Pod It Out, Nando's Entourage Recap Pod. Um, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic, all the shit we do, all the, all the other stuff we do, man. Um, want to send a big shout out to the super producer, Rob Lopez. Appreciate everything you do for us over here, Rob. You're the man for that. Um, and so we'll see you guys next week, man. We out of here. Peace. Love you.